Laudator Jesus Christus. Praise be Jesus Christ. This is Matt Gaspers, Managing Editor of Catholic Family News, and I'm joined as always by my friend and colleague, Dr. Brian McCall, who is the Editor-in-Chief of CFN. Hello, Brian. I hope you're doing well this week. We're already halfway through January. Hard to believe. It is. Yes, having a good week so far. Hope you're well. Yes. Well, we have uh, several very interesting and important stories to cover this week. There's uh, 2023 has been quite a wild ride thus far, and as we'll find out today, there's a lot more in store coming sooner rather than later, it seems. So our stories today are going to include, first off, as some of you may have heard or seen on social media, there are credible reports that a follow-up document to Traditionis Custodes does indeed exist and is coming soon. Uh, we have that report, especially from our friend and colleague, uh, Dr. Robert Monahan from Inside the Vatican is the one who really broke the story yesterday. Um, we are also going to look at an overview of the World Economic Forum's annual meeting in Davos. The globalist ghouls are all gathered in Switzerland this week for their annual uh, hoity-toity meeting including several, apparently several U.S. lawmakers. I saw our friend at uh, LifeSite News, Stephen Cox, mentioned that in a, a report on the Davos meeting. Uh, also, an update on pro-life hero Mark Hauk, who we've reported on several times on the show. Uh, you recall he's the pro-life husband, father, um, activist who had federal charges brought against him for, uh, you know, allegedly breaking the the face. Isn't that what it's called? The face act. I yes. think yes. so. His federal trial is set to begin next week. What is that? I think Tuesday, January 24th. So mm -hmm. we're, we'll take a look at what's going on with that. And then lastly, another update, uh, this one on father Frank Pavone and his situation. Father is currently in Washington, DC, preparing for the big annual March for Life, which will take place tomorrow. So he, he gave, recently gave an interview earlier this week with Dr. Taylor Marshall and discussed kind of the current status of things. And also Catholic News Agency has written another article in regard to Father Pavone. So we'll take a look at those and give some commentary and analysis. But before we get into all of that, all the news, as always, we will take a few moments to ponder the things that are above, as St. Paul says, and try to uh, take a look at the church's liturgical calendar and ground ourselves in the spiritual riches of Holy Mother Church. So we're coming to you live on Thursday, January 19th, the year of our Lord, 2023. And today is the feast of a collection of martyrs, Saints Marius, Martha, Audifax, and Abacum. And today in the uh, in Dom Prosper Garanger's The Liturgical Year, we read about them, quote, Marius, a Persian of noble birth, came to Rome under the emperor, emperor Claudius, so very early on in the church, to venerate the sepulchres of the martyrs in the company of his wife, Martha, a noble lady, and their two sons, Audifax and Abicum. So it's a family of martyrs. Uh, there they ministered to the Christians in prison, prison, maintaining them both by their wealth and their own service, and buried the bodies of the saints. Uh, it goes on, they were all accordingly arrested, and since they could not be in, induced by fear or threats to sacrifice to the gods, the pagan gods of Rome, they were first beaten with clubs, then dragged about with ropes, burnt with hot iron plates, and torn with hooks. So if we think we're suffering persecution, we really don't know the meaning of yes. the word in light of these martyrs and what they suffered. Lastly, the text says their hands were cut off and tied about their necks, and they were led through the city uh, and by the Via Cornel Cornelia to the place called Nymphae, 13 miles from Rome. They were dragged 13 miles mm. where they were put to death. The first to die was Martha, who had earnestly exhorted her husband and sons to bear their suffering and constancy for the faith of Jesus Christ. Very reminiscent of the Maccabean martyrs uh, in the second book of Maccabees. Then the others were beheaded in the same sandpit and their bodies were thrown into the fire. So we ask for their intercession for whatever, you know, relatively small persecutions might await us in the, the future uh, that they would pray for us and obtain for us the graces we need to endure them well as they did. Hmm. 
And looking ahead on the uh, traditional liturgical calendar, tomorrow we will celebrate some more uh, famous martyrs, Pope St. Fabian and St. Sebastian. Most people uh, associate St. Sebastian with you seeing the, the pictures, the images of him having arrows, because uh, that's how he was. Well, they didn't they try to martyr him that way, but he actually survived. And yes, yes. Another way, if I recall correctly. And Saturday, we celebrate St. Agnes, virgin and martyr, who one of the saints mentioned in the Roman canon. Uh, this coming Sunday is the third Sunday after Epiphany. Remember, on the traditional calendar, there's no such thing as ordinary time because one of God was made man and came into the world. There's nothing ordinary about that or about any time since then. Uh, and then next week, we will celebrate St. Raymond of Penafort, who was a confessor of the faith uh, on January 23rd, followed by St. Timothy the spiritual son of St. Paul, who was a bishop and martyr. And then finally, the conversion of the great apostle to the Gentiles, St. Paul, on January 25th. So a lot of great saints and feasts coming up soon. I don't know if Brian had anything he wanted to add. Yes, no, cool. that conversion of St. Paul really is to a feast to push us to remember we have a mission, we as the whole church, to convert those who are not Catholic, you know, that St. Paul yeah. didn't just fall off his horse and get struck by our Lord to just go on being a good Jew, right? He was right. called, our Lord told him, you have to convert, and he converted. And it's important to remember that because the modern Vatican, since Vatican II, has tended to use this week, which used to be a week to pray for the conversion of schismatics and heretics, mm -hmm. for ecumenical hootenannies, and to <laughs> twist the conversion of St. Paul into some ecumenical feast, which right. it, it's anything but. It's, it's the, uh, uh, the opposite of their message. Yes. But unfortunately, uh, there hasn't seemed to be too much going on in Rome in that, <laughs> that sense. Maybe they're working on other things, as we'll get to. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and start with our, our first story. As I said, it's a uh, some reports that a follow-up to Traditionis Custodis is reportedly coming soon. So this news originated, as far as we know, with a German blog post that appeared on January 13th, um, which Rorate Chely shared, I know, on social media and I emailed it to our friend at LifeSite News, Dr. Micah Hickson, who's from Germany, fluent in German, so she took a look at it as well. And essentially what this um, blog post says is that, Cardinal, first of all, Cardinal Arthur Roach allegedly responded to Benedict XVI's death by exclaiming with glee, now we can finally sign the document. Now, we, I don't know. That's complete hearsay. We don't know if he actually said that. But more importantly, this blog post says that reportedly there is a forthcoming, what they refer to as an apostolic constitution, which is a particular form of a papal document, a legal document, by which, quote, according to the blog post, Francis, who is extremely dissatisfied with the slow implementation of Traditionis Custodes, finally wants to put an end to the old mass, end quote. That's an English translation of the German blog post. And it goes on to say, according to our information, the expected constitution contains four main decrees, and then it um, summarizes them. First off, in no church, and then in parentheses it has diocesan question mark, like a parochial church, may only the old mass be celebrated. So in other words, if it's a parish church, a regular diocesan parish church, the old mass cannot be celebrated exclusively, according to what they're hearing. And Second, I take those those my understanding of those parentheses with question marks is that's this this author inserting kind of ambiguities in what the information is. So it, it what his information is is church, and then he's saying I think they mean das. So that's what I right. Think. It's like an I interpretation. Interpret yeah. like maybe this is what they mean. Yes, correct. And so the second bullet point says in you know parentheses diocesan question mark churches it is not allowed to celebrate every Sunday in the old rite. So that seems, if that's correct, and we and the uh, interpretation is correct, diocesan meaning parochial churches. If you go to a diocesan traditional Latin mass and every Sunday, that supposedly is not going to be allowed after this document drops. Hmm. Third bullet point: in the use of the 1962 books, with the modifications ordered by Francis, 
is permitted only for the celebration of mass, not for the administration of sacraments and sacramentals. And then lastly, every priest is obliged to, in parentheses, publicly, question mark, um, celebrate according to the Missal of Paul VI. So th those are the, that's what's been reported by this German blog. Now, earlier this week, uh, I think it was Tuesday, Rorate Chaley did post something about saying, quote, regarding the rumor of a new document on the Latin mass, a rumor that was widespread last week, our sources, meaning Rorate Chaley's sources in Rome, have denied its existence, or at least that it is planned. However, <laughs> uh, Dr. Robert Monahan of Inside the Vatican really shook things up yesterday by publishing an email that he received from a priest who he specified as being uh, a traditional priest, one of the traditional orders. He said in his letter, I just received a fascinating letter, this is Monaghan, from a priest who confided to me that, quote, an archbishop in the States has seen this document, meaning the document the German blog post referred to. So Robert says, I replied to the letter writer, confirmed his identity, and know that the letter is not a prank, but a serious communication. I regard it as credible. So let's take a look at what this letter from the priest says. It says, hi, Robert. As we both know, there are no real secrets in Rome. So without revealing the identity, I can tell you that an archbishop in the States has seen this document about which rumors abound and confirmed to a priest friend of mine, who is a person of true integrity and would not casually spread rumor, that it does indeed contain what some have guessed at, a further suppression of the traditional Latin mass, with an exception for religious orders who solely celebrate privately, in other words, no parish churches, and some possible further clarifications for the FSP, I assume he means the Fraternity of St. Peter. Mm -hmm. Uh, the, the letter from this priest goes on, it was, quote, found necessary to issue this second letter because of the lack of implementation of Pope Francis's motu proprio, traditionis custodis, by a good number of bishops around the world. And the priest says, in parentheses, by using Canon 87, etc. So Canon 87, just real quick, says, a diocesan bishop, whenever he judges that it contributes to their spiritual good, is able to dispense the faithful from universal and particular disciplinary laws issued for his territory or his subjects by the supreme authority of the church. So some bishops, I think Bishop Paprocki comes to mind um, and others have invoked this canon in saying that uh, dispensing from the condition that to get the traditional mass out of parish churches, which is in Traditionis Custodis, as you recall. Uh, so. Francis apparently wants to close that loophole and others like it. So the priest goes on in his letter to Robert Monaghan, it, meaning the document, is scheduled for release sometime in April or May and would carry the weight of an apostolic exhortation to match that of St. Paul VI formally establishing the new rite. Now, I think the priest is probably mistaken and meant to say apostolic constitution because Paul VI document regarding the new mass, Missale Romanum, was an apostolic constitution. So if it's going to be an equivalent to that, he mm -hmm. probably meant to say an apostolic constitution. Uh, the priest says it would effectively take away from the bishops any further say or exceptions in the matter, which is highly ironic if that's true, because right. the whole false pretense of Traditionis Custodis in the beginning of it is, oh, I'm giving you're the moderators of the liturgy in your diocese, so you need right. to take control of this. His whole argument as... <laughs> was the Mormon Pontificum took away their authority, and he was just right. giving it back, which was right. the whole lie. Right, <laughs> Right. exactly. So ultimately, this priest says, uh, if issued, if the document is issued, which he said, um, if I got into that, I think I did. Yeah, he, he said earlier, it is scheduled for release sometime in April or May, and I will say, I have heard from a very reliable source myself that uh, who, you know, he's said that he's heard about this actually several months ago and that he, the, the time frame that he heard is April. So I think yes. that is pretty safe to assume at this point. So the priest said to Robert Monaghan in his letter, if issued, I believe it will push the TLM underground and further add to the ranks of the Pius X society. 
which has already grown by three times since the issuance of issuance of the motu proprio by Pope Francis. This will not end well, the priest says. The TLM will survive whether any Catholics will continue to go to a further watered-down Novus Ordo, which is also supposed to be part of this document, will remain to be seen. So that's another bombshell. Mm. Um, he closes by saying, if I have any further information on all of this, I will be sure to send you an update. So very explosive revelations here. Now, one thing about this claim that I think I do want to clarify, this is true. I've heard similar numbers. And I think with me that congregations attending masses offered by Society of St. Pius X priests have grown roughly three times um, in a little unevenly around the world, but three right. times the number I'm hearing. But I think that that's a little, a little unclear. Is it from traditional custodis or frankly from COVID? Because that growth really... Right started as a result of the diocesan bishop shutting all the churches and a lot of people mm -hmm. that you know in many cities and dioceses decided St. Pius X was the only mass in town um so I, I think some of it is due to Trishino's Casotas but I think particularly in America not as much as frankly the COVID shutdowns had mm -hmm. so I think his argument there is a little you know not not quite nuanced enough but uh I think in terms of it going underground absolutely right I think we're going to see more canceled priests um mm -hmm. clearly if uh if if they have the courage like a certain priest to to resist this uh but the whole thing it has to me my reaction an air of plausibility here um it, for for several reasons one this is exactly what happened with Trishino's custodis there were lots of warning shots that mm -hmm. that and they all turned out to be true number one Bishop started taking actions in anticipation of it, like they knew it was coming. So we saw expulsions in, in um, France, for example, of traditional priests, closing down of parishes, and bishops saying, well, we're just getting ready for what's coming. We then saw rumors of what the document contained, and mm -hmm. then it all turned out to be true. Here we have the same thing again. We have, as we reported on, the Bishop of La Crosse and others saying, oh, you know, we've just got to do this. We're, we're, we're falling behind, as if they've been told you know, the, the way some bishops have dealt with this by allowing the status quo is being shut down. And then these, these again, credible, which appear to be credible rumors. As always, you know, Ronnie Chelly, I like them, but they're often a bit, you know, too optimistic about things and <laughs> uh, just, you know, don't worry about it. I think they're a little too dismissive sometimes. Um, so every, and I've heard some other sources beyond the ones we've mentioned, this seems to be real. Now, it's not done till it's inked and released. Obviously, right. there could be a change of heart or mind, but it does seem to be on track. Now, the fact that it would be held and seen by more people makes sense because the process legally for the issuing of a, a apostolic constitution is more complicated, and it has to come right. up from Roman, well, now to Castories. So there's many, many more people who read it, as opposed to a motu proprio, mm -hmm. which gets vetted, but doesn't get the same kind of widespread um, circulation. And there are, right. you know, certain archbishops that are relay involved in the dicastery for worship who, again, we don't know who this is, but who would certainly have been sent a copy of it. Um, mm -hmm. So to me, this all has the air of plausibility. It all fits with what we know that Roche and presumably Francis and appears Francis have been very upset um, that dioceses have not fallen into line behind the motu proprio and exploited right. some of the ambiguities there. Roche tried to shut them down in his dubia, but that obviously doesn't have the same uh, legal, uh, purported legal weight. Uh, right. They also seem to have figured out, you know, his his whole thing, you can only use the missile, uh, so you can't do sacraments, that that didn't quite work because the missile actually contains several sacraments. <laughs> Here, it sounds like they're going to really clarify that. And it's, no, mm -hmm. you can only use the missile for for mass it really sounds like the traditional orders are only really allowed to have private masses yeah um, i mean my sense is that yeah. the the fundamental purpose of all of this first and foremost yes. is to get the traditional mass out of parish churches to yes. close any loopholes that bishops have used to keep it in parish churches because that's the goal as yes. I think chris ferrara wrote for us quite a while back the goal is to quarantine I think was the word he used, the traditional mass, get it out of the, the mainstream, you know, Samorum Pontificum made it much more mainstream, brought it into the parish churches. Francis is trying to reverse that and his and his uh, crew over in Rome are trying to reverse that trend. So I'll, before we move on to our next story, you know, the ultimate 
question for us is how to you know what's the correct response to this and I, brian recently conducted an excellent interview with uh, father james altman who had some very good advice for the faithful in that regard um, yes it was a, a fiery as yes. conversation and i'm just going to play a little clip from it the the whole interview is about a half an hour uh we're just going to play a little clip where he addresses this subject People so, have a false, false sense of the word obedience. Peter yes. Kuznetskis, and I know I'm not pronouncing his name correctly, but it's close. Uh, he's a hero of mine. He wrote a book, True Obedience. It's a very short book. Yes. Every, every faithful Catholic should read it because it, yeah. it explains to us how we don't have to obey unjust or uncatholic orders. You know, yeah. this whole, I, oh, I have to obey. Who else had to obey? All the people under Hitler. Right. All yes. the people under Stalin, all the people yes. under Mao, they had to obey or they would die. Right. Yes. And they would. And in doing and in obeying, they committed the most heinous possible crimes. But what did Jesus teach us? He said, don't don't worry about the body. Worry about mm -hmm. your eternal soul. And so what Jorge Bergoglio, his filthy uh, cardinals that he's collected mm -hmm. all around him and these bishops, these bishops are endangering eternal souls. So again, interesting. It's he is basically echoing almost verbatim the the arguments of Archbishop Lefebvre in the early uh, in 1970 when he uh, refused the new mass for his society. I mean, he said it's a danger. The new mass represents a danger to your faith, uh, to your salvation, and therefore you are not obliged to go to it. And priests are not obliged to say it. And here you have, again, it's like maybe slightly different words, but Father Altman saying exactly the same thing. Yes. And this is the book, of course, which, as Father said, it is a very small, very quick read yes. from Sophia Institute Press. And I just want to read one quick uh, excerpt that really drives home the point. So Dr. Kwasniewski says, since the liturgy truly is the font and apex of the Christian life, the home of divine revelation and the primary agent of our transformation in Christ, it follows that to abolish or prohibit or in any way work against the venerable Roman rite that was humbly received, gratefully loved, and lavishly praised for century after century of uninterrupted growth is the most notorious and damaging attack on the common good possible or imaginable. And he says elsewhere, in all these ways and more, after listing all the ways that the that attacking or going against the traditional mass or the church's traditional liturgical rites in general is an attack on God and the faith, he says, in all these ways and more, the post-liturgical, excuse me, the post-conciliar liturgical reform, its subsequent ruthless implementation, and Pope Francis's renewed efforts to extinguish the preceding tradition are unreasonable, unjust, and unholy, and therefore cannot be accepted as legitimate or embraced as the will of God, end quote. So mm. highly recommend getting a copy of this for yourself and also for your local priest. We all need to read this and understand the principles contained in it. I have a review of it on our website, catholicfamilynews.com. If you just search true obedience, you'll find it. Right. All right. And so again, I think this has all the hallmarks of what Francis wants to do. Now, whether Benedict being alive was constraining this, that quote, I, I don't know. I mean, it didn't seem to constrain traditionus custodis. Right. Uh, but, you know, perhaps it will be, it, 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 it you know, freed it to be a little more, even more uh, repressive. Sam had a comment. I was kind of wondering what he, what he was referring to. Maybe you know, Matt. Um, he's saying he's wondering if the rumor of this uh, is why Catholic Inc., He's coming down so hard on the SSPX. Yeah, I don't know. I think that's. I think that's a reference. So Kennedy Hall, a friend of mine right. uh, who used to work yeah. with the Fatima Center, he's now with LifeSite News, did a video on his channel, which is the Kennedy Report about Catholic Inc. Basically, like um, mainstream professional Catholic media, probably uh -huh. places like Catholic News Agency or others right. like that, um, coming after. And I, I think the reference to coming after the SSPX might be a reference to. Um, Matt Frad's recent interview with uh, uh, a former colleague of ours. Right. So I yes. think that's probably what's going on there. Okay. Yeah. And again, it's, it's possible, although if he's referring to that, heart, that Matt Frad thing, anybody who needs three hours to make their argument probably doesn't have an argument. Um, I had a lot of, <laughs> I haven't watched it, but a lot of people have actually asked me about it. Um, that particular person is, is, pretty terrible debater and pretty terrible at putting arguments together. He's very clever at 
cherry picking quotes and things out of context. But, uh, you know, other than that, I, it, it's possible, although I'm not sure that that's, you know, necessarily coming from Rome, because I do, do still hold to the theory that Francis and his or his assistants may have this sort of herding theory. They, they, Francis himself has done nothing, and and really nobody from the Vatican has done anything against the society. I think they may right. be, you know, looking to hold that out as an option to get everybody herded over there, and then what they'll do next, you know, we'll see. So the, these, this Catholic Inc. is is Candy Hall. May they may be acting as free agents in this? That's possible. Right. Would I think be my answer? Right. Well, and interestingly, just one final comment on the the three hour discussion you mentioned. Uh, According to that person, this all of this is the fault of the Society of Saint Pius X, which I find very incredible to to hold that position. But it is what it is. Um, so I guess moving on from uh, the liturgical realm to more of the the civil yes. sphere, we'll take a look at what's going on in uh, Davos this week. The as I mentioned in the introduction, the uh, World Economic Forums annual meeting in Davos, Switzerland began this week, Monday, January 16th, and will conclude tomorrow. And I'll just read a little bit from their official meeting overview to give you an idea of why they say that they're meeting this year. So it says, quote, the world today is at a critical inflection point. I mean, that's their standard boilerplate. Yeah, yeah. Every, every year every is year. a critical <laughs> inflection point. Uh, they say the twin triggers of the COVID-19 pandemic and the war in Ukraine, those seem to be the two major issues being discussed, rattled an already brittle global system. Economic growth in the world's largest economies is stalling. Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> While navigating headwinds from rising food and energy prices. For the first time since the 1970s, the world is facing a precarious disequilibrium with growth and inflation moving in a positive, meaning opposing, directions. This is occurring alongside, alongside heightened geoeconomic fragmentation, financial sector vulnerabilities, uh, including stretched asset prices and high debt values. Yeah, because our governments keep printing more and more fiat currency out of nothing. <laughs> And, and it also says a climate crisis spiraling out of control. That's another one of their big issues there, which could magnify any growth slowdown, particularly in emerging markets. Unless these systemic and interconnected risks are addressed, the promise of a decade of action might become a decade of uncertainty and fragility, referring, referring to the 2020s. So it says against this unprecedented backdrop, the World Economic Forum is convening its 53rd annual meeting in January to reaffirm the value and imperative of dialogue and public-private cooperation, not only to navigate the current cascading crises, but more importantly, to drive tangible system-positive change for the long term. It's kind of like reading a document from Francis or the Vatican. You don't exactly know what it means. It's a lot of fancy words, but uh, very nebulous. Yeah, and basically what they're saying, I mean, all of those crises are self-engineered by yeah, most exactly. by the same people because this is the way they've been working in history. The same cabal under different yes. names is you foment a crisis and then you say, oh, we've got this horrible crisis. It calls for extraordinary measures. You adopt them and then you advance your revolution because they never go away. Right. And right. that's, you know, they 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 thrive on this. Uh, and, you know, that's why they foment, take advantage of or drag out. I mean, they're still talking about COVID-19 as a crisis. Right. They don't want it to go away because it's useful. Exactly right. Never waste a good crisis. One of them said, I forget yes. which one. So be, ahead of this meeting, they they always release something called their, um, what do they call it? Global Risks Report. Yeah. So I'll just read a few of the things over the next two years. This is what, according to them, we need to be really concerned about over the next two years. Number one, cost of living crisis. Well, I probably would agree with that. The cost of living is getting ridiculous. Uh, they say natural disasters and extreme weather events, geoeconomic confrontation, failure to mitigate climate change, erosion of social cohesion and societal polarization. Not sure what that means exactly. Large-scale environmental damage incidents, failure of climate change adaptation. Al Gore was, I don't know if you saw this clip, Brian, but Al Gore is at the meeting ranting and raving like a crazy person about, you know, what are we going to do about 
he's still going on and on about the ocean the oceans boiling is one, one phrase he used i mean according to this guy decades ago the world should have ended because of global warming and he's still preaching that false gospel <laughs> and still living in his like twenty thousand square foot mansion that is a giant <laughs> you know energy suck yeah right right now sorry the guy that invented the internet that's he also claimed that <laughs> right <laughs> Yeah, it's it's pretty entertaining to see the clip circulating yeah. on social media. Um, so our friends at LifeSide News are covering this event pretty closely. And uh, earlier this week, they they uh, published a report that says, on day two of the globalist World Economic Forum's meeting in Davos, access to abortion was a key issue. And no doubt, due to the overturning of Roe v. Wade via the Dobbs decision last June. The article also says Narendra Modi is the first prime minister in India who passed in both houses of parliament medical termination of pregnancy for 24 weeks for women without a whimper or noise from any other man in Indian politics. Uh, that was a quote from India's family minister for women and child development, Smriti Irani. Uh, she proudly proclaimed those words Tuesday during a panel discussion titled Gender Parity for Economic Recovery. And the LifeSite report points out a key thing, uh, especially for this meeting of globalists. A key portion of the overarching globalist agenda is the promotion, acceptance, and actioning of the UN's 2030 Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs which are pro-abortion and heavily promote a green agenda to supposedly combat climate change, population control, in other words. So that's uh, from the first, you know, the opening of the first couple days, but then on the geopolitical front, I think Brian's mm. going to tell us about, so Henry, if, believe it or not, Henry Kissinger is not only still alive, he's still giving public speeches. He's almost yes. 100 years old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's still going. Uh, but one small point, because you noted abortion is one of the big things they're talking about uh, yes. with the Dobbs decision. I did just note before we started uh, a story, before we went on air today, mm -hmm. that the Supreme Court has finally issued its uh, report from investigating the leak of the Dobbs decision that occurred last spring before mm -hmm. it was actually released. And after interviewing 97 people under oath and all this, they say they have no idea. They can't. They can't. <laughs> charge anyone with it which is interesting wow. um they they searched everybody's computers phones apparently it, the marshal of the court released the report and they can't pin it on anybody which i found is interesting wow. in any event just a, a footnote on the the dobbs decision so yes henry kissinger again if you're not familiar with this guy he is a bad guy i mean yeah. he is one of the longest serving globalist uh that you know, is it really an architect of the World Economic Forum? John Venari mm -hmm. had several articles about, you know, all yes. the bad things Kissinger did. A Bilderberger there. guy, too. I He's the big, big starter of the Bilderberger Group, um, the uh, Trilateral Commission, Council on Foreign Relations, all these globalist entities. He also was really the mastermind of the beginning of the uh, surrender to China. As you yes. remember, that really began when Nixon went to China and gave up the whole fight against China, that was really uh, Henry Kissinger behind him. Yes. So that that's who this guy is. Well, Henry Chinese... Kissinger was basically like Nixon's McCarrick, more or less. <laughs> yes. Yeah, pretty much. So January 17th here in connection with this, he says, I want to express my admiration for the president of Ukraine and for the heroic conduct of the Ukrainian people. Before this war, I was opposed to membership of Ukraine in NATO because I feared that it would start exactly the process that we are seeing now. Now that this process has reached this level, the idea of a neutral Ukraine under these conditions is no longer meaningful. Ultimately, Kissinger said that NATO membership for Ukraine would be appropriate at this point. And again, this is what leads me to believe I think this is what they wanted all along was Ukraine and NATO. They couldn't get there. So they manufactured this war to then say, ah, what's the point? We might as well just do it now. I mean, that's more or less what I think is between the lines admitting. And again, what is these people's obsession with Ukraine and with Zelensky? Now, again, before I get into this, no love for Putin. The guy's done some interesting things, but he is not our friend. He is out for his own country. So I'm not, right. you know, we're not we're not promoting Putin. 
that's kind of their only defense for uh, Zelensky. Oh, he's not Putin. This guy is a terrible guy. I mean, he, right, he's a degenerate, basically. He's a degenerate porn, you know, involved in <clears throat> pornography. Uh, he is a dictator. He is not some like nice democratic leader. He imprisons the opposition. He arrests priests and throws them in prison, conducts religious persecution. Um, and he's an actor. He basically, I don't know if people right. know this, he acted in a show where he became the president of Ukraine on right. the show, which they set up to get him elected. And then he they changed the name of his political party to be the name of the fictional political party in the show. Right. Right. So he's literally living out what he already acted on right. the screen. Exactly. But again, more importantly, this guy is a despot. He is a dictator. Uh, he is not, you know, somebody who respects the rule of law. The religious persecution alone has been astronomical. And he's now, I saw this headline of the Babylon Bee, after latest congressional vote of money to, to Ukraine, Zelensky passes Elon Musk as the richest person in the world. Right? Hmm. They have given him more money than Elon Musk, you know, has. Uh, mm -hmm. What, you know, why? It's just it's just this obsession with it. The New World Order has been obsessed with Ukraine. Uh, they've got something going on there that, again, I'm not going to speculate, but there's some it's disproportionate. And their obsession is extremely dangerous because Russia has made it clear. Putin has made it very clear that this is if Na if Ukraine joins NATO, Russia considers that an existential threat. Yes, yes, exactly. They will not tolerate that. So the two-step dance, the next day, the porn guy himself, the, the, the disgusting uh, comedian who, again, just disgusting what he used to do, comes oh, yeah. to the microphone uh, and says this, mobilization of the world must outpace the next military mobilization of our joint enemy. So notice he's Russia. already saying, yeah, that Russia is the entire world's enemy. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, the expansion of NATO in the EU, he said, must outgo the spread his of word. Russian <laughs> aggression. Yes, that's his yeah. word. So again, what's he, he wants not only NATO, but the EU. He wants to, to join all these. Three years ago was my first time at the WEF. Uh, he, he went on uh, to say, it was the time when the world was fighting COVID-19. It fought and won. Wait a minute. I thought they just said it was still ongoing. <laughs> Exactly. Hey, Zelensky, you didn't get your talking points right. It's not. A, it's not. We didn't want. It's not over. Now the world is fighting against Putin. In three years, we will be discussing new challenges and threats. Oh, so they've got some more things planned. What, <laughs> what will this mean? It will mean we will definitely overcome the current threat. History repeats itself. At first, the world either fails to notice or understand a threat. Then it unites to resist it. And then the world wins. Every time, the same outcome. The world overcame Nazism. And by the way, all they all fled to Ukraine. That's been a hotbed of Nazi you know, a hideout since World War II. Apartheid, pandemics, the indifference to climate change. Oh, wait, we overcame climate change. Right. <laughs> uh, again, you're, you're not on script, buddy. Financial crises and the Kremlin strain. I'm not sure what that means. Uh, the world will overcome again. We shall overcome. I mean, this guy is just, I, it, it, you know, it, again, it's all crisis. And it's crisis, amazing crisis. to see if you watch the video footage, he has those people at Davos wrapped around his little finger. I mean, oh, yeah. As much as the U.S. Congress, where right. remember the, the dictators in U.S. Congress went after the people didn't clap enough for him. Right. They, the Democrats said, we have the names of the people that didn't clap, right? You're on our list. Wow. We're after you because uh, you weren't enthralled enough with this foreign dictator who plants a foreign flag in the United States Capitol. Talk about a real insurrectionist. He was the real insurrectionist <laughs> in, the, in the Capitol. Mm -hmm. Yes. And then finally, you know, Continuing on this theme of, well, they can't make up their minds if COVID's still an over or not, not if, right. if we've overcome it yet or not. LifeSite again reported yesterday, uh, quote, the CEO of the pharmaceutical giant Moderna said that he wants to have an mRNA technology factory in on every continent. Um, this man said is Stefan Bonsell, who I think a couple years ago was honored, maybe even just last year, by the Vatican at some gathering at the Vatican. I'm pretty sure he was given he was, some sort of yes, an award. He was, yes. I would really like on every continent to have mRNA capacity 
Stefan Bonsell said during the uh, WEF panel discussion titled State of the Pandemic. He went on to say, the amazing thing about mRNA is you can use the same facility, the same plant, the same machines to make any vaccine you want. Uh, and then the LifeSite report says, as Bonsell pointed out, the mRNA technology may be used for vaccines and therapeutics of all kinds. For instance, Moderna recently announced an mRNA injection to treat heart failure, uh, which is very ironic, <laughs> ironic. the article notes. There has been mounting evidence of heart problems and even heart attacks induced by the COVID mRNA injections, including Moderna's. And we've seen that just in recent weeks, for example, that... Um, I don't know if he was vaccinated or not. It's highly probable he was that uh, Buffalo Bills football player who just all of a sudden after a play dropped over, uh, they had to rush him to the hospital. I haven't looked into the current status. I don't know if he survived or not. Hopefully he did. But I mean, these things are happening more and more. And even um, I know LifeSite reported on this uh, on the BBC during just a Yes, broadcast that yeah. doctor was able to slip something in and and they didn't censor it and so well they it was live they were it was so funny to watch the reporter because yes. they were asking about this drug statin and then the doctor's like yeah yeah, yeah that yeah, there's it but you know the bigger problem is the vaccine it's it's and as a cardiologist and they're just like freaking out because right. he, he says i just think we should stop this this is right. uh you know too dangerous so uh the, the 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 narrative is definitely breaking down but again the real reason got released today i what's really going on here what this is all about from uh uh, Tony Blair, remember him? Mm -hmm. He was another big globalist, uh, new labor. Yes. Globalists new labor. aren't all, some are con quote unquote conservative, some are liberal, right. but they're exactly. all friends behind closed doors. Right. He said today at Davos that all nations must have a proper digital infrastructure to monitor who, who it has, has and who hasn't had the vaccine. That's what this is all about. It's about control, mm -hmm. information getting you to do what they the uh, the masters tell you because remember what Klaus Schwab said the fourth industrial revolution will result in everybody owning nothing you are going to own nothing and be happy about it right exactly exactly as well, along with all of their transhumanist nonsense which if you want to read uh, a great article about the background of the world economic forum and some of the crazy insane things they teach uh, the December paper, I'll just, this is from the December paper. Yes. We have a great article called WEF's Brave New World. So if you're not already subscribed, if you do subscribe to our paper, uh, go to catholicfamilynews.com and click on the new subscription tab. Um, you won't receive the, de the December back issue, but you'll gain access to several, you know, like 18 months worth of back issues in our e-edition. And you can read that article. It's very well done. So, yes. So just lastly, on the um, on the uh, Davos front, so in response to a, a Davos video clip, interestingly, yeah. Elon Musk tweeted out, quote, WEF is increasingly becoming an unelected world government that the people never asked for and don't want, end quote. And he also ran a poll. I, I haven't checked the the results of it. I think it's an overwhelming no, though, of whether or not people want the WEF to be uh, in charge of the world or not. So he's really trolling the Davos meeting, which is pretty yes. funny to see. Funny. Yes, it is. It is. Well, moving over to some other uh, secular news, uh, as we've been reporting for months, one of the other effects of this uh, this administration has been to weaponize the FBI and the Justice Department to persecute uh, people who are working in the pro-life cause. Uh, mass arrests, uh, across the, the nation, harassment of uh, yes. pro-life people by the FBI and the Department of Justice. And we have a little update on uh, one of those stories uh, that was one of the first people uh, arrested. Uh, and you can see him here uh, with his family. Well, not only that, arrested, but the FBI well, raided his home with uh, like semi-automatic weapons and terrorized his family. It was terrible. It was last September. Yes, according to his wife's report, uh, they, these people were so scary that they had to send a SWAT team in with guns, you know, to to arrest this really scary looking terrorist kind of guy here. Yeah, you can see there he looks really, uh, really dangerous. Um, 
In any event, the particular news is that uh, his trial for the charges on which he's been brought up uh, is going to start, as Matt mentioned at the beginning, January 24th, which is next week. Now, he is charged with violation of the FACE Act, which was enacted uh, decades ago uh, that is meant to criminalize what they called people who were interfering with uh, freedom of access to kill your child. Um, right. And uh, that's what they charged him with because, as we reported previously, uh, he got into a, a scuffle with uh, one of these so-called escorts, these people right. who go out and meet the uh, people that want to kill their baby and walk them into the uh, clinic to make sure they don't get cold feet and change their mind. If there's a sidewalk counselor or someone giving them information, that they don't persuade them so that the the clinic can pocket their money. Uh, mm -hmm. He got into a little you know thing with that. Apparently, the guy, as reported, was bothering him and his son, and they got into a scuffle. Um, mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting is the lawyers from the St. Thomas More Society, who've just done phenomenal work in so many fronts this past couple of years. Remember, yeah. these are the folks who beat. Uh, uh, governor Newsom in California reopened churches, the governor of New Jersey. They recently won a case against the U.S. Air Force for all the airmen who were dismissed for not accepting the vaccine. Mm -hmm. uh, really, they've just done, they've been everywhere, fantastic work. Yes. Um, they revealed that they filed uh, a, an objection. So as you get ready for the trial, there's a lot of different uh, things that have to be agreed. And the government wanted to give the ju jury instructions. So that's when you tell the jury, here's what it is you need to decide, right? Did this, here's what constitutes a crime. Here's what murder is. You need to decide if the person did it. The jury instruction was that the escorts are covered by this FACE Act, that the act prohibits any interference with an escort. Well, they filed a motion, you know, a, a request that that's wrong, that that's not the law. Again, the mm -hmm. instructions are when the judge tells the jury the law that they're supposed to use. And uh, in the course of that, they revealed some information that not a lot of people have been aware of before, although it's on the mm -hmm. public record, that the FACE Act was never intended to protect these kinds of escorts. Um, as well as as others among it, uh, between advocates on the public sidewalk outside of the nation's aborted clinics. Uh, this is what their executive vice president and head of litigation, uh, Peter Breen, announced. Now, where does he get uh, a source for this? Uh, he says, new evidence shows clearly that Congress intended to limit the FACE Act to patients and staff working inside the clinic and not to take sides between pro-life and pro-choice counselors and escorts on the sidewalk. Mm -hmm. um, and they cite statements in Congress uh, between the sponsor of that bill, another sadly uh, fallen away Catholic, uh, mm -hmm. Senator Ted Kennedy, and a Republican uh, Senator uh, Durenberger about when they were passing the law. And uh, Kennedy made clear in their, their statements that, uh, well, let me just read it. Mr. Durenberger says, by defining a grieved person in the way, was your intention to exclude clinic escorts and so-called clinic defenders? The person who wrote the law, Ted Kennedy, who wrote mm -hmm. the bill, that is correct. Demonstrators, clinic defenders, escorts, and other persons not involved in obtaining or providing services in the facility may not, you know, are not covered essentially, may not bring charges and are not right. covered by the act. Durenberger then reiterated that escorts are not covered under the FACE Act. Now, again, this is the, the people who wrote the law saying this is what the law means. Now, although this is in the public record, the congressional record, I guess mm -hmm. no one had really focused uh, on this. Well, that uh, really before. seems to destroy the whole case against Mr. Uh, Houck. Again, it does. Uh, we will see uh, this district judge in the uh, one of the districts in Pennsylvania. It's, I forget if it's Eastern or Western District of Pennsylvania. We'll see what they do, what your instructions they, they choose. Because, right, the whole case collapses if this is uh, not covered. So do keep Mr. Houck and the St. Thomas More Society lawyers in your prayers next week uh, that they are able to end this nightmare for, uh, for Mr. Houck and his family. Yes, absolutely. Well, our final story, as I mentioned, is another update. This one in the uh, more of the ecclesiastical realm involving Father Frank Pavone, uh, the longtime director of Priests for Life. So uh, last week, I think on the same day that the German blog 
posted about the the fourth supposedly forthcoming document follow up yes. to uh, Traditionis Custodis, Catholic news agency who broke the story about Father Pavone's you know alleged seemingly um, laicization back on December seventeenth of last year. They issued, they uh, published another a follow up article uh, last week, January thirteenth, stating the following. Frank Pavone, the National Director of Priests for Life, was notified of his recent laicization, a diocesan official has told CNA, contradicting the ex-priest's repeated claims that he has not received official notification of the Vatican's decree dismissing him from the clerical state. Their headline reads, Pavone, it's possible I missed laicization notice. And it's based on a quote that they provide. I'll get to that in just a minute. They they emailed Father Pavone for comment because apparently CNA has reached out to the Diocese of Amarillo and Amarillo, the diocese is willing to cooperate with them. So that's, again, that's why they came to mind as being part of the so-called Catholic Inc. because they clearly seem to be yeah. on the side of, of Bishop Zurich and the Diocese of Amarillo against Father Pavone. That's just my perception anyway. That's- so the article also says, An official with the Amarillo Diocese in Texas who asked not to be identified by name told CNA that, quote, the canonical process was followed, including physical and electronic notifications, meaning of his laicization, at their proper time. Uh, Pavone, it says, provided CNA a different answer Thursday, January 13th, when asked about the diocesan official's statement. I have no idea what they sent me. The communication broke down a long time ago, Pavone wrote in a January 12th email. They may indeed have sent something. I simply did not see it. So that's where they're getting their headline that he may have gotten just didn't realize it or something. Uh, So the article goes on. The Amarillo official who spoke to CNA would not clarify when the diocese informed Pavone that he could no longer exercise his priestly functions. But Pavone on Thursday still professed to know nothing about any official notification. And then it provides another quote from Father's email. Well, they can say they informed me, but that statement alone ignores the entire context and the fact that the communication was abusive, broken, dishonest for years, he wrote in an email. Again, people have to understand none of this was normal. So what he's referring to is his very... what. Uh, the uh, vicar for clergy for the Diocese of Amarillo referred to in a 2016 letter as a toxic relationship with the bishop um, come on the part of the bishop. The bishop's behavior and attitude towards Father Pavone is what was toxic, according to the vicar for clergy. Um, so again, yeah, and that, that letter where, has recently ahead. been published, and it's a really very interesting letter uh, because this vicar for clergy says he was involved. He does both. I mean, he basically says the bishop's being outrageous and toxic, but he yeah. goes on, you know, to really exonerate uh, Father uh, Pavone uh, right. in this this letter, uh, saying you know he has always been respectful and and always been reasonable. Um, um, yeah, he Bishop said, Zurich's personal animus toward him is what he refers to, uh, mm-hmm. is, is really what the root of the problem is. And then he just wanted to get him out. Uh, so this letter is very, very informative and seems to, uh, support Father Pavone's, ex, you know, his description of what happened. Yes. And I'll include a link. It's been posted online. So I'll include a link in the video description, but this it's from, from a month, senior Harold Waldo, who passed away in 2019. But he served for many years as the vicar for clergy and in other official capacities for the Diocese of Amarillo under Bishop Zurich and other bishops of the diocese. And he said um, in his letter, which is dated May, March 5th, 2016, from the outset, the relationship between Bishop, Bishop Zurich and Father Pavone was strained. Even though Father Pavone was generally well received by clergy, laity, and religious alike when exercising ministry in the Diocese of Amarillo. Amarillo. Monsignor goes on, on occasion, and it was my responsibility to communicate with Father Pavone on matters relating to his ministry and the bishop's wishes. In all instances, the Monsignor says, I can state unequivocally that Father Pavone responded promptly, respectfully, and appropriately. So very strong testimony in 
favor of Father Pavone from the former vicar for clergy. Um, so Father Pavone earlier this week was also interviewed again on uh, by Dr. Taylor Marshall on his podcast. And when Dr. Marshall broached the subject of Father Pavone not wearing his clerics, which as we've said in uh, in previous episodes of this show, I think the first show of the new year, we talked about how Father Pavone has not been wearing clerics since I think Christmas Eve was the day, the first time he broadcast without just wearing regular lay clothes. So when Dr. Marshall brought up, you know, you're not wearing your collar, Father explained that he is, quote, following the advice of my canonical advisors, and they've said that that's the right thing to do now out of respect for the authorities in the church, end quote, in light of, quote, and this is Father speaking, having received that word, that hey, you, meaning him, can no longer present yourself as a priest, end quote. So it's not exactly clear whether or not Father Pavone yeah. has received the official notification, but I do want to make clear, nowhere in the interview with Dr. Marshall and nowhere else to my knowledge uh, does has Father Pavone explicitly stated that he has received official notification in writing or otherwise from the Vatican or from his diocese regarding that decree of laicization, which was allegedly issued by the dicastery for the clergy on November 9th, 2022. As you'll recall, it's mm -hmm. the so-called supreme decision admitting of admitting of no possibility of appeal that was mentioned by Archbishop Christophe Pierre, the U.S. Apostolic Nuncio, mm -hmm. in his December 13th letter to U.S. bishops. So we still don't really know for sure if Father Pavone has received that official notification. Yeah, I wish Taylor Marshall had followed up and asked him point blank that question. It, it seemed to be the next question, <laughs> right. but he didn't. Right. Yeah, it would be nice to know one way or the other. Um, so now again, also, I'm not sure I even, let's assuming he did, I'm not sure I agree with or get this advice. I mean, and particularly if he didn't get it, I don't know why he's, he's, I really don't know why he's doing this because it's sort of admitting the legitimacy of this. Meaning again, not wearing his clerics. You're right. Again, I was just saying, yeah. I, I don't, re I reject this. This is not legitimate. It's not legal. I'm not going to, I, it, it, I count it as nothing. Um, I mean, what more are they going to do to him? <laughs> right. Right. So the other letter that is brought up in the uh, CNA report, uh, they quote extensively from a 2017 letter written by Bishop Zurich to Father Pavone. And this, this is the same letter that you may recall uh, Father mentioned during his video response to CNA's initial report. Yes. This was a, uh, he live streamed on the evening of December 17th, responding to CNA's report. I think we have a, a video clip if we're able to play that. I'll tell you a story. The Bishop of Amarillo, some of you were asking, well, who is this bishop that's been causing so much problem for you? Um, the, the Bishop of, of Amarillo, Texas. He's, he's in his final year there anyway as bishop, but uh, Zurich is his name. And he called me into a meeting five years ago. He was, you know, complaining about my work like he always does. And he said, um, he said, well, you know, you, you, I don't want you doing this, uh, doing this work. And I said, well, you want me in the diocese? You want me to do, you know, you want to give me an assignment in the diocese? Is there any benefit to me being in the diocese? And he said, no. So he didn't want me doing work in the diocese, and he didn't want to let me do work outside the diocese. And I knew this already. So I said, well, you want me out of the priesthood, don't you? Now, there were other witnesses in this meeting, and I can tell you who they are, too. And they know, and they remember this. And he said, never, never, twice, out loud. Never, never. I would never want you out of the priesthood. This is my bishop talking to me. Never, never. Remember that, bishop? I'm sure he'll see this video. Never, never. This is in 2017. A few weeks later, after that meeting, I get a letter from him saying, I want you to request to be dismissed from the priesthood. And if you don't request it, I'm going to request the Vatican to dismiss you from the priesthood. I, I wrote about This is all on that website. So that's the, the long and short yes. of it, basically. So the, the letter that he was referring to, CNA has now published in this January 13th article. They've embedded it in there. Again, and to me, that's kind of a sign like we're on the side of the bishop. We're making all of this available 
you know, kind which of, ironically it supports Father Pavone because it confirms. Oh yeah, story. it's a it's a very caustic letter for sure. Yes. I mean, it says in I'll just read a a little bit from it. So it says, um, you know, the reason that he states for saying uh, what does he say? It is with a heavy heart, you know, all of this feigned rhetoric, uh, but also with absolute frustration with you that I write this letter because of your. Your scandalous behavior, your involvement in partisan politics, your persistent disobedience. This is from the bishop who wouldn't give him an assignment. <laughs> your lack of respect for legitimate ecclesial authority, control, and oversight. You leave me no choice than to ask you to present a petition to the Holy See for dispensation from all of the obligations of sacred ordination, including celibacy, and for a return to the lay state. That's paragraph one. <laughs> paragraph two says, if you choose not to petition for the dispensation along with a return to the lay state i will submit a petition to the congregation for the clergy to request that the roman pontiff dismiss you from the clerical state ad pena i think as a penalty is what that means should dismissal from the clerical state be imposed as a penalty it may not come with dispensation from the obligation of celibacy so it's like if you want to have the option to marry if like dangling that as if it's some kind of a carrot for father Pavone. right um, then you better do what I say, or else you might not have that that option if they if they penalize you. So he goes through his reasoning, one of which was the the incident with putting the aborted baby on what appeared to be an altar. Father Pavone maintains it was actually a table; it was not an actual consecrated altar. Um, he goes on to say, "Let's, you know, you're con- you are in continual disobedience of regarding of me regarding many matters and." Uh, one point he says toward the end, Frank, you are incorrigible. How, that's not how you refer to a priest of Almighty God, Frank. That's <laughs> unbelievable. So he claimed, the bishop claims, in good conscience, I will not even consider allowing you to excardinate to another diocese. You would just continue to be disobedient and act scandalously. So again, these are how these despots work. This is what he so you can't work outside the diocese, you can't work inside the diocese, and I won't let you leave to go to another diocese to be under another bishop. I mean, it's basically that's what the despot's doing. Like I'm giving you nothing. I'm giving you no no choices. I just want to punish you no matter what. There's nothing you can do. In other words, right. yeah, pretty much. Yep. So that is, I mean, ultimately, Taylor Marshall did ask him, you know, where things stand and. Father Pavone, as he has said in past interviews, he's just basically keep carrying on with his pro-life work. He's still the director of Priests for Life. He's continuing, as he says, to knock at the door of mm. the Vatican, trying what trying to do what he can to get um, reinstated into the the clerical state. But I think it's highly unlikely that that will happen under Pope Francis. You know, we can hope for maybe a better situation under Francis's successor, but. Certainly need to keep Father Pavone in our thoughts and our prayers. Yes, very true. Well, we had a big full news roundup for you this week. Uh, as uh, Matt mentioned, you know, please consider subscribing to our paper. A lot more detail like that article on the WEF will be in the paper. And as he mentioned, if you subscribe, you will get immediate, as soon as your subscription is paid for, electronic access to years of back issues. So you pay for one mm-hmm. year, you get you get a decade. So uh, you get a lot, lot of issues. So please do consider that. If you can also, if you're already a subscriber, help us by liking uh, giving a thumbs up, rumbling uh, sub- to our, our videos, subscribe to our channel so you get notified and forward links uh, through social media or other ways to people you know yes. uh, to get get our content out there. We appreciate your help with that. Yes, and just one last reminder before we say our Hail Mary is uh, make sure to visit sophiainstitutepress.com and get copies of this book for yourself and for the priests in your area we all yes. need to read this and understand the principles and be ready to apply them very soon. Yes. Well, immediately, but definitely <laughs> in light of this coming document. So uh, we will close as we always do in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Eternal Father, I offer you all the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the instruments of his holy passion. 
that thou mayst put division in the camp of thy enemies, for as thy beloved son has said, a kingdom divided against itself shall fall. Our Lady of Fatima. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Well, we wish you a very good rest of your week, a, 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 um, a holy, happy week, and God willing, we'll see you again next week to see the state of the world and the church from a Catholic perspective. Yes. God bless you.